Come on, come on. Somebody can get excited about that this morning. There is no other king like Jesus. There never will be another king like Jesus. Well, this morning we are kicking off a brand new series that we'll be in for the next three weeks, and that is the series called When Heaven Touches Earth. When Heaven Touches Earth. And I am super excited about this series because I believe that as we dive into this idea of when heaven touches earth, that it could radically change who we are as individuals, and it can radically change who we are as a church. Now, just to give you a roadmap of where we're going in the next couple of weeks with when heaven touches earth, is today we're going to be talking about how when heaven touches earth through Jesus. And then next week, we're going to talk about how heaven touches earth through you and through us. And then in week number three, we're going to talk about when heaven touches earth through the church. Now, it's obvious that we would start with Jesus because it's Easter, right? I mean, what would an Easter message be if we don't talk about the, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and for me, the one who gives us the hope, the one that died our death, the one that rose from the grave. Now, sometimes I feel like when we get to this day, Easter can be one of those times where it seems mechanical. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we just do what we always do, right? We get up in the morning, we get dressed in our finest, we go to church, we, we, we experience the Easter service at church, and so we do what we always do, and we hear what we always hear. We hear that message about Jesus living a, a sinless life and going to the cross and then raising from the dead, and then we eat the same brunch or crawfish, depending on what you decide to eat for this Easter Sunday, and just to let you know, I am partaking in some crawfish today, so this is a little out of my norm, I mean, not that I don't like crawfish, I love crawfish, okay, but normally I don't do crawfish on Easter Sunday, and so I'm excited about that, and so you might get out of here just a tad bit early. Now, if that's the most reaction I get out of today's sermon, then we got some issues here, all right? But sometimes Easter does feel that way, doesn't it? Where it just seems like we are in a routine. We just come and we do. We come and we hear. And we come and we, we're with family. We eat. We do all of this. But I want us to take a moment this morning and really focus in on this statement today. That when Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, heaven literally touched earth. And not only did heaven touch earth, but it changed everything. It changed the course of history. It changed the course of your eternity, if you choose to believe. It was an amazing, amazing moment in creation's history. Now there's going to be some times in this message where we highlight some things from that life that he lived on this earth over 2,000 years ago. But let's get right to the point of what Easter is all about. I was reading a devotional this week and I came across this explanation of the end of Jesus' life here on this earth. And I thought it could be said no better than what was written. So instead of me trying to do it justice, 
I'm just going to read you verbatim what I read. And it says this, before his crucifixion, Jesus was scourged. Roman soldiers bared the upper half of his body and tied his hands to a pillar. He was forced to bend double with his spinal column exposed. Then Jesus was flogged with a three-pronged whip comprised of three leather thongs connected to, uh, connected by pieces of bone and metal on a chain. Scourging or flogging always preceded capital punishment so that the prisoner would be weakened and die more quickly on the cross. The violent lashing of Jesus' body tore his skin and bared his flesh to the very bone. Many victims died before they even encountered the cross because of the flogging. Many were paralyzed and few remained conscious after this horrific punishment. After the flogging came the mocking. The soldiers relentlessly, cruelly ridiculed the Son of God of all creation. Jesus was too weak to even carry his own cross because his torment had already been taken to the utmost limits. There was little life left in his precious body as he reached the top of Golgotha. The man who had turned over tables held little children on his lap, calmed the storms, raised the dead, was now bleeding in agony. His lungs were struggling for one more gasp of earth's atmosphere, and his eyes were glazed with vicious pain. I wonder if the guards could hear the Savior gasping for breath. His mother, who had witnessed his first precious breath, now heard him breathe his last. She had giggled over his first coos and gurgles and now had to stand and hear him fight the pain. Now, he could have called 10,000 angels at that moment and they would have come to his rescue. He could have removed himself from the cross, but he chose not to. He chose to contain his power. Why? Why didn't he save himself from the mockery of hell itself? It's because he stayed there for you. Because you were the joy that was set before him. You were on his mind while he hung on Calvary's cross. Jesus stayed there for you. Let that statement sink in just a minute. This was God's one and only son. This was Jesus. He had all power, all authority. He had it all within his rights to call down heaven itself at that moment and say enough is enough. And he would have been justified in doing so because sin had no part of him. But yet he chose to stay on that cross because of you, because of me. He chose to stay there to take on the sin that we participate in. He took all of it in that one moment. But worse than taking the sin was the time that he was on the cross and he begins to see his Father in heaven start to turn away from him because God could not look on his Son in that moment when sin was on him because God is a holy God. And God cannot co-inhabitate with sin. And so Jesus bore the ultimate punishment, which was separation from God, his Father. 
And that's where he uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only point in Jesus' entire existence, which has no beginning and has no end, so can you imagine just that brief moment in time where he does not have his Father's presence. And it broke him. You see, you and I today, we have more times probably that we don't experience His presence than when we do. So it's almost like we've become numb to when His presence isn't in our lives. But Jesus stayed there for you. And that's the gospel. We were dead in our sins. We had all fallen short. And there had to be a price paid for our sin. But guess what? That price was not paid by you and I. But that price was paid by Jesus. In John three sixteen through 18, the most famous passage in Scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's the verse that we all know. But then in 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him, that whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus did not come to this earth to point a finger in your face and to condemn you for the sin that you willingly participate in. Yet he came to this earth to take your punishment and to look at you with eyes of love and say, I stayed there for you. Heaven touched earth. And it changed everything. Now when Jesus came and heaven touched earth, there are three things that happened. At least that I want to talk to you about today. Three things. Number one is this, is that when Jesus came and heaven touched earth through him, grace came. Grace came. When Jesus died on the cross and took all of what we deserve, he demonstrated the heart of the Father which is love. God is love. When Jesus was on this earth and he healed every person that approached him, whether their faith was great or whether it was small, he displayed the kindness of the Father. You know what's interesting to me is when Jesus healed people physically, it always seemed to follow up with, go and sin no more. Or, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the paralyzed guy that the friends laid him into the middle of a room that was packed on the outside, so they ripped the roof off. Jesus not only healed him physically, but also said that your spirit has been made well. Your sins have been forgiven. We serve a God who's full of kindness. 
And God's word says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That when we encounter this loving God and we, and we, and we flush out what, what has been crammed down our throats at some points in our life where Jesus is only here to condemn you, no, Jesus did not come to do that. He came to save you. He came to show you the love of Christ. He came to give you grace. Grace came. Grace touched this earth. Grace is still touching this earth today. Jesus revealed the mercy and grace of the Father. And let me show you two pictures of grace during Jesus' life. The first one is this, is that grace turns around. Grace turns around. Now, what does that mean? Well, in Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34, we read this encounter that Jesus has with this woman. And let's read it together. It says, Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, let's stop there because you need some context. Jesus has been approached by somebody who's desperate for a miracle. And so Jesus has, has, has agreed to go with him, but then along the way comes this moment. Okay? So I want you to see this. In verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. You know, we might not have the physical condition that she had, but we absolutely have the spiritual condition that she had, which is this, is that a spiritual condition without Jesus is ongoing. And it means that we're always going to feel like something isn't right. We're going to feel weak in our spirits. We're going to feel like just, just this, this idea that something is, something's missing. And for some of you, you've been searching for years for an answer to the hole that is there inside of you. To that void that is in your life. You've spent years going to different things in life, whether it be a drug, whether it be an alcohol, whether it be any other type of addiction, whether it be trying to find it through fulfillment in a relationship. You, 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 just, you try to find this fulfillment everywhere but. And I believe that some of you are here this morning and you've gotten to this place where you're like, enough is enough. I'm tired of searching. And this Jesus, you're here today because of Jesus. Whether you know it or not, you might be here because you're here with family. I hate to break it to you, but God was using your family to get you here today to a point that he is saying to you, I love you. I stayed on the cross for you. You are looking for fulfillment. You're looking for meaning like she was. And in verse 27, it said she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. And immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And here's what I want us to focus in in verse 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him so he turned around. Jesus had every right to just keep on going, let the woman be healed of her physical issue and go on. But he said no. You see, that to me tells me that grace is personal. 
grace is personal. Sometimes we think, oh, well, Jesus just died on the cross, and here we got billions and billions of people that have lived on this planet since then and now. And so it, it's, just, it's just a collective thing. It's not, it's not for me specifically. I mean, I've heard that in my life before, that Jesus died for the one and that, it, you know, he died for me and all this kind of stuff. But I just don't know if I'm quite ready to get to that point where I think it's personal. This story proves that grace is personal. And when God feels the hem of his garment touched because you're here today you're willing to reach out just a little bit and you touch it and something begins to happen well guess what today he's going to turn around he's going to look at you in the eye and he's going to say i love you and his disciples turned around and said how in the world look at this crowd pressing around you how can you ask who touched me but he kept on looking around to see who had done it and then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her she was frightened because she had been to everybody that could possibly help her and nothing happened but as soon as she even grabbed a hold of just the hem she didn't even touch his body he she touched the hem of his garment and immediately It didn't say, like, it took weeks to get better. It says immediately. That's what salvation is all about. It is immediate. Immediate. When we say yes with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my Savior, we believe in our hearts, we are immediately His child. She was frightened, trembling. She came and fell to her knees in front of Him and told Him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Suffering is over. Suffering is over. Grace not only turns around, grace also bends down. John 8, 1 through 11, this is the story where Jesus is there on the Mount of Olives, crowd was around him. He begins teaching, and then some religious leaders of the law come bringing in this woman that was caught in adultery. Some commentators believe that, like, she was actually set up. That they were the ones that paid the price for her and then just took her somewhere to set her up, not only, not for... Not, not just for her to be embarrassed, but also to try to catch Jesus in a trap. And so in verse 4, they say, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? And in verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus, what? Stooped down. He bent down. And he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. In verse 8, then he stooped down again. He bent down again and wrote in the dust. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to be caught in the act. 
I'm not saying this particular act, so don't get any ideas. But I know what it's like to be caught in the act of doing something that's not right and having people look at me and, and, and judge me with their eyes. I know what it's like. I had a moment that I'm not proud of when I was in college and I had two sets of friends because this is the kind of life that I lived. I lived one leg on one half of the fence and another leg on the other half. I lived for Jesus sometimes and then I went to go party with some friends when I wasn't around my Jesus friends because I wanted it both ways. Which means I wasn't in relationship with Jesus, I just liked the idea of it when I was around that group of people. But when it was down another group, I could care less. Well, there was one night where the group of friends that I partied with that I thought were friends got me so sloshed one night. And then what did they do? They called all my Jesus friends to come look at me. I know exactly what this story feels like because that was the most humiliating, embarrassing moment of my life because I was exposed. I was exposed. This lady was exposed. She was, she was literally probably naked in front of them. Embarrassed, exposed, and asking Jesus, what are you going to do with this? Now, Jesus had every right to stone her right then and there because according to the law, you stone people like that. They were still in the day of the law, so he could have most certainly have done that. But grace does not throw stones. Grace bends down. Grace stoops lower than the lady was at her lowest. Some of you think, man, I have gone too low that there's no way that Jesus would ever accept me. His grace will always go one step lower than your sin takes you. Grace always bends down. And look at what happened when the accusers heard this. They slipped away one by one. In the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And here's what you need to hear this morning. Because this is what Jesus speaks into your life this morning. Neither do I. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Because Jesus was not sent to this world to condemn it, but to save it. Here's the second thing that Jesus accomplished when heaven touched earth through him is that access was granted. Access was granted when Jesus was on that cross in Mark 15 verses 37 through 38 it says then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple 
was torn in two from top to bottom. Let me give you a little, little, little study here. Is that when the temple was built, you had, the holy, you had the holy place and then you had the holy of holies. And there was a curtain that separated those two. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the resting place of God's presence. And when Jesus was on that cross, what he did was is he accomplished access for you and I into that Holy of Holy place where only a priest was allowed to go. One man had access into that before Jesus did what he did. And when Jesus died on that cross... That curtain ripped, not from the bottom up, but from the top to the bottom to make sure that everybody understood that that was an act of God. That that was God who did it. It was not man who did it. And it was then that the curtain was open and access into God's very presence was made possible. Because when we believe in him, we have access into the throne room of God where we can experience a presence like none other. It's the presence of God where when we're in it, anything is possible. Everything changes. Hope comes. Salvation comes. Freedom comes. Health comes. And this is what Jesus did for you and I. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands the weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because in the Old Testament, there was a curtain that separated you and I from the presence of God. When God looked, he couldn't see past the curtain. And so when Jesus came, that curtain was no more. And now when we accept Jesus, we stand behind Jesus. So when God looks at us, he's looking at his son and he does not see sin. He sees a sinless son. You are a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when you come and you say yes to him. You don't become a slave any longer. You become a son or a daughter of the one true king. So grace came. Access was granted. And here's the third thing as Christina comes back up. Is that when heaven touched this earth through Jesus, death was defeated. This next statement is going to make you feel really good. No matter what we do, no matter how much we accomplish in this life, death comes for us all. There's no escaping it. It's coming. It's being a little facetious when I said that that was going to be a good statement because it's a sobering statement sometimes we don't like to think about that but the last time I checked death is nearly undefeated you realize there's only two people in human history who have escaped death you had Enoch that escaped death because he was caught up with with, with God with Jesus how incredible was that? And then you had Elijah who rode away on a fire chariot 
chariot of fire. If I had to go, that's where I want. That's pretty cool. I'm just saying. So for 99.99999% of those of us that have lived, are living, or will live, will face death. It is going to happen. But see, Enoch and Elijah, they only escaped death. They didn't defeat it. They just escaped it. There's only one that has defeated death. And his name is Jesus. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, when he was actually quoting Old Testament scripture. He said, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. Oh, but 57. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus won the victory. I know a lot of times it feels like we're in a battle and that is a true statement. And there are some battles we lose. But when we believe in who Jesus is, we have the victory in the end. The enemy might capture a battle here or there, but he does not win in the end. Because he's already been defeated. The reason that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he he may desire is because he is mad as all get out that he is lost. We should be ones that don't feed into that. We should be ones that step with confidence and say, get out because you have been defeated. Jesus' love was and is so great that it put death to death. He triumphed over death, drawing out its poison on the cross and crushing its head when he walked out of that borrowed grave. His victory over evil and death is our inheritance when we believe in Him. Now let me speak directly to those of you that say you believe in Jesus this morning. This next statement I hope challenges your thought process. I hope it challenges the very core of who you are. Because I'm guilty of not living like this statement will say at times in my life. And sometimes we cower as believers. But listen to this. As sons and daughters of the King, we fight from victory not for victory stop fighting for a victory that is already yours stop trying to accomplish something that has already been accomplished stop walking in fear because you don't realize that victory is already yours step with confidence fight with confidence knowing that you are not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. 
when hell gets unleashed against you, you don't have to cower down. You don't have to, 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 to squirm in fear. You don't have to face it again because it's already been defeated. Fight from a place of victory. Think about it. When David went and faced Goliath, he wasn't fighting for victory. He was fighting from a place of victory. That's why he could go out there and walk with confidence knowing that the victory was already his because he had experienced victory in his life before that moment had come. And he knew that he wasn't going in his own strength, but that he was going in the strength of the Lord. And he sat there and he said, Goliath, you come at me with a javelin. You come at me with a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And what he was saying in that moment is, is that you're not going to put fear inside of me today because the victory has already happened. And I'm not fighting for victory today. I'm fighting from a place of victory. Believers, listen to me. It is time for you to shift your mindset and go from a place of fighting for victory to a place of fighting from victory. Jesus died and rose so that we could live in his victory, taking it on as our identity. In the middle of storms in our lives, or on the battlefield of life, we can rest in the Prince of Peace. We can rest in the Prince of Peace, reminding the enemy that he has already been defeated. The victory belongs to Jesus, yes. But when we put our faith and hope in Him, that victory, His victory, becomes our victory. Let's stand all over this place today.